What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Instant Replay Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dominic Shirosky. And before we get into anything really big news, finally have the equipment that I need. So um, should be getting some better quality as far as just the audio. Um, I haven't started using the equipment yet. Probably going to start using it um, next week. So a week from today, next on Tuesday. So this podcast and next podcast will probably still sound the same. We'll be uh, in our the format that we you all are probably um, most accustomed to. And then from there, we're going to, you'll see the quality jump up and I'll be able to do a little bit more now that I have the equipment that I need. Also, the YouTube show will finally be getting uh, its legs uh, off the floor. We'll be uh, starting that up very soon. That might also start next week, um, seeing how everything goes and once I get uh, everything installed. But really happy, really excited about all of that news. Cannot wait to get into everything that we need to get into today. There is a bunch of stuff uh, going on in the sports world that we need to talk about. But first things first, um, most importantly, um, I want to talk about, well, okay, so we'll talk about the situation first. And then that will probably actually lead us into a larger conversation. So for those of you who have not been paying attention, Naomi Osaka, um, probably outside of Serena Williams, the most easily recognizable name in all of tennis right now. Um, for my money, she is the best tennis player in the world. Um, even at such a young age, she's come in, she has beaten Serena. Like she's, she, I feel like that torch has passed. Um, and Naomi Osaka really kind of is the face of, I would say, not just women's tennis, but tennis in general. You know, when I think of tennis, the first people that I think of are both women. You know, I think of Naomi Osaka. I think of Serena Williams way before I think of, you know, individuals like Roger Federer and stuff like that. So Naomi Osaka, however, um, there's been a little bit of a little bit of controversy <laughs> um, around her as of recently. And I really won't even say around her because everyone, and thankfully, um, it seems like everyone is in support of Naomi for her decision. But for those of you who are unaware of the current situation, Naomi Osaka basically uh, was going into the French Open, you know, tournament, all that other stuff, getting ready for it. Um, and she missed one of her media availabilities, right? Didn't speak to the media. And basically, the officials of the French Open chastised her and basically told her, you need to do your availability or there's going to be much harsher punishments and all this other stuff. And um, they fined Naomi Osaka for missing her media availability. And... Naomi Osaka took it a step further and said, you know what? I'll go ahead and opt out. I don't need to do this right now. And her reasoning, or once she opted out, she put out 
uh, a lengthy post um, for her reasoning as to why, one, she missed her media availability, and two, why she felt it was best to opt out. Um, She said that, you know, she wanted to take some time away from the court. Um, You know, she said she never wanted to be a distraction and that, you know, her stepping out right now is the best thing for the tournament. But more important than any of that, more important than any of that, um, Naomi spoke on how she's been dealing with uh, some mental health issues. She's been dealing with, you know, a, a sense of depression, um, really ever since she won her first major back in 2018, I believe it was, um, after the U.S. Open. Uh, she's talked about how, you know, that um, coinciding with the fact that, you know, speaking to the media is just, I mean, that's something that I also think people don't really get, like, <laughs> speaking to the media is not easy. Like, public public speaking is one of the hardest things to do, right? Like it's really hard to just talk when people are just watching you. (laughs) And I feel like people don't really get that. I feel like people overlook how nerve wracking that can be. And if you're someone who's dealing with depression, who suffer, who is suffering from, you know, um, some nervousness and anxiety issues, that's an extremely nerve wracking situation to be in. Um, and I was one very happy that she took the time out to open up and be honest about what she was dealing with. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's one of the things that I will always applaud today's generation of athlete for doing is taking that time and taking that, that moment to be honest, um, about some of the problems that we see so many of these players deal with. So many players have come out and spoke about, you know, suffering from anxiety, suffering from other types of mental health uh, issues, you know, whether that be um, suffering from depression, whether that be, you know, suffering from some, some sort of other disorders like bipolar disorder, you know, that we, we've seen, uh, former wide receiver Brandon Marshall, you know, he was kind of the the face of that for the NFL for a very long time uh, while he was still playing. So I feel like today's generation of athlete has understood how important mental health is, but more importantly, is extremely comfortable speaking about it. And I applaud them for that because it it opens the dialogue and it makes it less taboo, you know, for so long, um, you know, if you were quote unquote depressed, or if you were someone who felt like you needed to go to therapy, like people looked at you, like there was something wrong with you, right? Like there was never, it was always a negative stigma, especially in black communities. Um, it's like, what you need to go to therapy for something wrong with you, right? Like that, that was kind of always the thought process. Um, and so, like I said, to see people, on these large stages to see um, these athletes with these large followings um, take that step up and be honest and open up um, about the things that they're dealing with to make others, you know, who don't have the resources, who maybe don't have that platform uh, to let others know that it's okay that, you know, you everyone goes through these things. 
is really important. And I'm very happy, one, that Naomi Osaka is taking this time to get right. Um, also, uh, I was I was gonna <laughs> I was trying to find a better way of saying this, but uh, the French Open can kick rocks. Their officials. I also thought it was very funny that the um, <laughs> they find Naomi Osaka for missing her media availability and basically threatened her with much harsher harsher um, harsher. Uh, why can I not think of words today? Punishments. There we go. <laughs> um, much harsher punishments. Um, if she continued to miss media availabilities, right? Like they did all of that, but then the president of the French uh, Tennis Federation, uh, Giles Morton, and as far as regarding Naomi Osaka uh, withdrawing from the French Open, he made a quick statement, but then he didn't stay to answer any follow-up questions. So she gets fined for not answering questions but you can do whatever you want. You don't have to answer them, right? Like it's everything comes full circle and you just see the hypocrisy. So, uh, and also the French media has a little bit of a history with heckling, um, heckling specifically African-American um, tennis players, specifically African-American women. You know, they did the same thing to Serena Williams. I remember, you know, one of the... I, I remember it was one, you know, one of the situations, you know, where they basically um, tried to, or if I am correct, they disqualified Serena Williams one time because she was wearing a black um, cat suit uh, tennis for one of her tennis tournaments, which literally wasn't a stylish thing. It was because she was suffering from blood clots and the suit was specifically made to help her with blood flow and things like that. And they were, and like the, the French Open and the French Tennis Federation have been on a lot of BS before, especially when it comes to African American women. Um, so it was nothing new that they s stood up to their typical trash reputation. But super excited, um, more so, well, not I'm excited that and and relieved that there was such an outpouring of support for Naomi Osaka um, because I feel like so many people. So many people just, like I said, downplay how much anxiety, it, like how much that can really ruin your day and how much it really affects you. Um, like I hate when I see people who are like, oh, well, if you don't want to deal with, uh, if, you, if you're anxious, maybe you shouldn't be a professional player or maybe you shouldn't be uh, a, an athlete. And it's like, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm still going to do what I love. You know, I, I love the sport. I don't love talking to you. <laughs> Like that's that's what I feel like a lot of people miss. I love the sport that I play. I don't love being heckled and asked a million dumb questions because so many of us in the media ask dumb questions, right? Like, and that's me being someone who is a journalist, me being someone who is in the media, me being someone who has had press passes, me being someone who has spoken to both professional um, and college athletes, coaches, etc. I've seen a lot of dumb questions asked. I understand how it can be tough. I understand how we heckle. So I get it when a player sometimes is just like, yeah, no, I'm not feeling it today. Um, but I was very excited and very relieved, like I said, that um, there was such an outcry and an outpouring of respect, 
love, support for Naomi Osaka. Obviously, uh, we here at Instant Replay wish nothing but the best for Naomi Osaka and cannot wait to see her back on the court. Take as much time away as you need. You are the best player in the world. You come back when you are ready and absolutely dominate uh, once you make your return. Um, But the treatment of athletes is actually one that I want to stick on and use to transition to our NBA talk because it's something that we've seen in the news as of recently when it comes to these playoffs. Um, I'm starting to think that maybe having fans back in the stands for these games was not such a great idea because very clearly people have lost their damn minds and nobody knows how to act anymore. And granted, at NBA games, there's always going to be fans that heckle. There's going to be fans that maybe say a couple of derogatory remarks. You know, that stuff is expected. And I'm okay with some typical trash talking, right? Like if you go up there and you're like near the, if you've got pretty pretty good seats and you're close to the floor, right? And you say that another player is trash or whatever. You start calling another player out of their name or something like that. Like, I'm okay with name calling, right? Like, that's fine with me. If you're not throwing like racial slurs and stuff like that, okay, cool, right? Um, I'm fine with stuff like that. You know, that's, that's part of trash talking. You're in the heat of competition because you are a fan. You feel like you're a part of the team and all that other stuff. So trash talking, okay, fine, right? Like, I'm cool with that. I actually like that. I encourage that. Um, But what we've seen in these playoffs, and it seems like it's happened a lot more, and I do feel like part of it is because people had been inside for a year last year. And, well, in some places, if you were down here in Atlanta, Atlanta never really shut down. Everything was still open. But I feel like maybe the pandemic did maybe get some people a little too anxious, a little too riled up to be back in arenas. And we've seen, it feels like almost every other night we've seen a fan do something stupid during a game in the playoffs. Like these playoffs have been riddled with negative fan interactions. Um, You have the fan pouring popcorn on Russell Wills, uh, Russell Westbrook um, after a game um, in Philadelphia. You have uh, one of the New York Knicks fans spitting on Trey Young during a game. You have um, one of the Boston Celtics fans throwing a water bottle at Kyrie Irving um, after a game. Um, you had... Uh, John Morant's father and you know his parents coming out and saying that you know while they were in Utah fans were hurling racial insults and slurs at them and then just last night you had a fan run onto the court and had to be tackled by security and escorted out and fans are forgetting their place I think that and this is I guess this is the message that I want to send yes you bought a ticket and your money is appreciated. That ticket and that money that you spent does not give you a license to to do whatever the hell you want in that basketball arena. There are rules that you must follow. Yes, this game is entertainment. However, those players on the floor 
are not just entertainment. They are still human beings. This is not a zoo, okay? You don't throw things at the animals. You don't try and feed them. You don't insult. No, like that's not what we do. And I think that gets lost at times. I feel like we do look at athletes so differently that sometimes we forget that they are human and it's not okay. And I, I, I remember so many people, especially like with, with Russell Westbrook and it's, it's, you know, when they pour the popcorn and, and if you're one of those people who, oh, it was just popcorn, it's deeper than that. The fact that you feel entitled enough or comfortable enough to throw food at someone, it doesn't matter if it's not going to do any real damage. That is a, an, I mean, a ridiculous amount of disrespect. And it's so funny to me because fans do it from the comfort of these seats, from the comfort of, you know, you know, they feel safe because they're further away. And, and I love one of the things that Russell Westbrook said was that, you know, like, if he saw me on the streets, never in a million years would he think to do that. And it's so true. Like everyone that does this stuff, they're always cowards. And, you know, I really, I really, really, really want to get back. I feel like, I feel like NBA fans of today, we need a malice at the palace type situation again. We need a situation where Ron Artest runs into the stands and knocks a fan out. Like we need that. We we need it because I think fans really don't understand that one almost each and every player in the league would knock you out they're bigger than you stronger than you faster than you in better shape than you um and it just it it blows my mind how comfortable people are and by the way i'm someone who is of the mindset players need to start pressing charges once once it is found out who the individual is that is accosting the players because yeah it's just popcorn but that's assault you threw something at me with intentions to harm me that's assault the person that threw the water bottle at Kyrie Irving in Boston that's assault you attempted to physically harm me that's assault and I think it's not enough to just ban player or ban these fans from uh, the arenas or ban them from going to NBA games because then it almost feels like a badge of honor. It's like, oh yeah, I got I got banned because of this, and yeah, like some there are some idiots that are take that think that that's cool, so to speak, right? Players, start pressing charges. Kyrie Irving, once you find if we can get a name of that individual, once we find out who it is, press charges. I want charges pressed against him. He threw a water bottle at me. That's assault. I want charges pressed. Russell Westbrook, he poured popcorn on me. He threw popcorn at me. That's assault. I want charges pressed. Because a message needs to be sent that just because you bought a ticket, it does not give you a license to do whatever the hell you want. Or better yet, next time a fan does something like this, security, let the player get to him. <laughs> if 
that's 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 more so the answer that I like, but you know, we can't really do that. <laughs> yeah, the NBA can't afford to have Ron Artest knocking people out in the stands again, but it would be nice to see. It would be nice to see Russell Westbrook get his hands on somebody <laughs> just once. Just once. Just to send a message. Next time you think about throwing something at an NBA player, look at what happened to the last guy that did it. But um I say all that to say players are still people. And they should be given that respect. Yes, this game is entertainment for us. Yes, I understand being caught up in the motion in the in the moment and being emotional and being passionate about it because here in America we are so invested into our sports teams. I get it. Never in a million years have I been to a game and thought about throwing something at an opposing team's player. Never in a million years. Because why? I realized that that is still a human being at the end of the day. And it's not worth it, bro. Like, I'm going to miss out on watching the Bulls or the Steelers play for the rest of my life in person because I want to throw, you know, some water at a player. Like, it's just so stupid. It's so stupid to me. But fans know your place. Players are human beings. And they deserve to be treated with that respect. I can't believe I really have to say this out loud. Like, I feel like this is one of those things where it's like, I shouldn't have to say this. This should just be understood. But here we are. Um, but yes, fans, get your act together. Players, start pressing charges. And let's get these people out of here. Okay. Now we can talk basketball. <laughs> now we can talk basketball. And obviously, first things first, the big news in the playoffs right now is the Los Angeles Lakers. And it is the Los Angeles Lakers because the Lakers, after losing game one to the Phoenix Suns, won two games back-to-back, took a 2-1 lead. And in game four, which was close all the way through, Anthony Davis gets hurt late in the game, couldn't finish. Um, Further diagnosis showed that he... Um, indeed has a strained groin and his status for tonight's game is still up in the air. I'm more so leaning towards the idea that he probably will not play tonight. And that is huge because now the Lakers are in real trouble of losing this series. And this is something that I said going into the playoffs If Anthony Davis is not healthy, the Lakers have no shot of winning a championship. And I also said, if Anthony Davis is not healthy, the Lakers may not make it out of the first round. Here we are, game five, series is tied 2-2. Anthony Davis is not going to play tonight. At least from what I believe. And the reason why that is big is because, and I'll give you a little bit of history here, In the history of the NBA, whenever a series, a playoff series has been tied at 2-2, right? Whenever a series is tied at 2-2 heading into game five, 83% of the time, 83% of the time, the team that wins game five goes on to win the series. So by all measures, whoever wins tonight probably is going to win this series. 
And with no Anthony Davis, I think there is just way too much on LeBron's plate to beat this Phoenix Suns team. Yes, you have Andre Drummond, who is great at rebounding. Yes, you, he's a great defender. Yes, you have Marcus Gasol, who, by the way, had a really good game um, a couple days ago. Uh, went and Anthony Davis went, went down um, and was injured. But neither one of them are Anthony Davis. And neither one of them are really going to be able to keep up with DeAndre Ayton, who, by the way, DeAndre Ayton has played phenomenally during these series during this uh, postseason he and Devin Booker for this to be both of them um such young players and for both of them to be playing in their first playoff um series and playing the way that they are Phoenix has a very bright future um but like I said no Anthony Davis I find it hard to see now granted this is still LeBron and LeBron will find a way, right? If anything, we've seen LeBron take a team full of role players, you know, a team of C-list guys to the playoffs and win playoff series and take them to the finals, right? Like we've seen it. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Lakers could win. However, I just think that the climb only gets tougher from here on out for Los Angeles. And this is one of the big reasons why I thought the Lakers falling to the seventh seed in the Western Conference was such a big deal was because there's a reason no seventh or eighth seed has ever won a championship in NBA NBA playoffs history. Seventh and eighth seeds don't win championships. Why? Because the road to the championship is so tough. Like, think about it. Lakers have to play the Phoenix Suns this round. Next round, we'll probably have to end up playing either the Los Angeles Clippers or the Dallas Mavericks. And then after that, you have to play more than likely the Utah Jazz. And then after that, you still are going to have to probably end up playing either the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, or the Brooklyn Nets. It's such a tough road to win a championship as a seventh or eighth seed. And that's why it's never been done before. And now with no Anthony Davis heading to game five, that is in Phoenix right after Phoenix just tied this series back up. I think the Lakers are in trouble. I think the Lakers are in trouble. 100%. This is a must win game for both teams. If we're being completely honest, there's a lot of pressure on the Phoenix suns. You're back home. You've tied the series up. There's no Anthony Davis. You have the Lakers against the ropes. You need, need to take a 3-2 lead. You need to take this lead. You cannot afford to lose to this Lakers team without Anthony Davis. If this Lakers team is hobbled, you have to take advantage of it. Have to. There's no other way around it. And then on the flip side, for the Lakers... If you can steal this game and then game six is in Los Angeles, maybe Anthony Davis is back and healthy or healthy enough to play at least. Series is basically over. So must win games for really both teams. And like I said, history shows us 83% of the time, whatever team wins game five in a series that is tied 2-2 goes on 
to win the series. And that leads me to the other team in Los Angeles. You have the Clippers. Clippers find themselves basically in in the same situation as the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, I will not lie. I was about 95% out on the Clippers after they lost the first two games at home. Sorry. (laughs) Moving my mic. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I was out. I was 100% out on... Well, not 100%. Like I said, 95% out on the Clippers uh, after they lost the first two games to the Dallas Mavericks. However, they responded. And, you know, this is one of the things that I, I, I spoke about. I said, you know, there's just too much talent on this team for them not to make this a series. And I did say that, you know, while it does look grim, it does look bad, this series is not over. The Clippers found a way to win two straight games in Dallas, and now they're going back to LA for game five, and all of the momentum is in their favor. The Clippers might mess around and win four straight and end this series in six. Um, Kawhi Leonard looks locked in. Paul George is finally, finally playing the way that we know he can uh, these, last, uh, these last two games in the playoffs and if those two continue this they can beat anybody they can beat anybody if they keep this up granted Luka Doncic dealing with a little bit of a neck strain uh in game four that definitely hampered him you could see he wasn't really comfortable out on the floor struggling but this is a series now this is a series now we have to pay attention to it and I think it's interesting that you know really the only two playoff series that we have that are still kind of up in the air are the Clippers and the Lakers. You know, like both Los Angeles teams find themselves in tough series right now. The Clippers taking on the Mavericks. Like I said, it's tied four or two, two, the Lakers and the Suns. It's tied two, two, all the other series though. When you look around the playoff landscape, all of these other games are basically pretty much, or all of these series are basically wrapped up. Um, you have the Milwaukee Bucks who swept the Miami Heat, which I could not believe. Um, I was genuinely surprised about that. I was. I just when you look at what happened last year and how the Miami Heat absolutely dominated the the Milwaukee Bucks in the bubble, and then when you looked at how Game One ended, like coming down to the wire. Chris Middleton hits the game winner, like all of that stuff, right? Like game one, when you looked at game one, there was no way you thought, okay, yeah, this is a sweep. I remember tweeting out after game one, yeah, this series is going to go seven games. And Milwaukee basically just said no. Um, I think the Milwaukee Bucks sweeping the Miami Heat is probably the most surprising um, outcome of the playoffs so far. And it's not just that they swept them. They blew them out. Outside of game one, the Milwaukee Bucks were in control of this series from, I mean, 100% of the way. The Heat lost this series 
lost each game in this series on average by an average of about 20 and a half points. Almost 21 points on average was their margin of loss. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Genuinely, I, I I'm I'm still trying to figure out what exactly um happened in this series because it was it was shocking. It really was, but you have the Milwaukee Bucks moving on. Uh, last night you had the Wizards playing the 76ers. The Wizards found a way to win game four, um, so they avoid the sweep. Joel Embiid did get banged up in that series um, in last night's game, but I'm assuming he'll be healthy enough to play in game five. Uh, so... That series basically is over, even though the Wizards, you know, you avoid the sweep, but this series isn't going any more than five games. Um, One thing that I will say that the Wizards took advantage of, and that I think a lot of teams are going to take advantage of in the postseason, um, they kept sending Ben Simmons to the free throw line. They played the hack of Ben Simmons uh, card in, in this fourth game, and it worked. I mean, we know Ben Simmons is not a shooter. And you could see that it was taking a toll on him. Because I think it's it's different when like you just in the in the throws of the game, you get your you you know, you get fouled, you take your free throw shots. When a team is actively fouling you spe- specifically for the reason of trying to send you to the free throw line because they know you're not going to make them that has to do something to your mental. And I, I think it took a toll on Ben Simmons because there was times last night where Ben Simmons was walking up to the free throw line like like he was walking up to the free throw line like a kid who was just told to go do his chores, right? Like head down, looked discouraged, did not look enthusiastic about it, looked annoyed. Um, so I think it was something that Washington, it was a card that Washington played and it was good for them to play it. I think teams moving forward will look at game four and see that. And that's, I mean, it's a great way to slow down that offense. It's a great way to get them out of sync. Um, but like I said, for the most part, that series is over. Uh, Philadelphia is going to win that series. They're up 3-1. Donovan Mitchell came back for the Utah Jazz. And just like I suspected, the Jazz have won three straight games. Probably going to uh, close out this game. Uh, close out this series uh, soon um, in the next game, in uh, game five. You know, all these other series, man, are basically wrapped up. The only ones that we still kind of have as far as the outcome is still up in the air is Clippers and Mavericks and Lakers and Suns. Um, The Boston Celtics won a game. Jason Tatum has put up 40-plus points in back-to-back games. He's absolutely phenomenal, but it's not enough against this Brooklyn Nets team. Uh, You had their trio, I think, what was it, in game four, the trio of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden scored like 104 points. I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous, right? But um, you have that, and then very surprisingly, um, well, actually, you still have the Portland and Denver series, which is still up in the air, still seeing how that all goes, right? But one of uh, the other big surprises of the first round in my in my opinion is not necessarily that the hawks 
are winning um, this series and that the Hawks are going to go on to win this series. You know, they're up 3-1, so it's pretty safe to assume that they'll, they'll beat the Knicks. What's been most surprising is just the way that the Hawks have absolutely dismantled this New York Knicks team. Um, this series was one of... This was the perfect series to kind of be an example of will versus skill. The Atlanta Hawks clearly were the more skilled team, right? They have the better players. They have the more skilled players. Um, however, I don't think anyone questioned the toughness of this Knicks team, right? This Knicks team was a, an example this year of what you can achieve if every night you just go out and play hard. Um, and I thought this series would be more even matched because even though the Hawks are the more skilled team, I thought the Knicks's intensity and like I said, their will, I thought the Knicks's, um, determination and grit would show itself more and would cause more problems for this Hawks team. It has not. It has not. The Hawks have pretty much handled the Knicks easily. Easily. Um, and that's surprising to me because, quite honestly, man, it just it just looks like the Hawks want it more than the Knicks do. And that's something that I did not suspect. So it looks like we're going to have some really good second-round matchups coming up, man. Um, the East, like I said, is basically all taken care of. Looks like we're going to get Milwaukee and uh, Brooklyn in the second round. We're going to get Philly and Atlanta in the second round. Those both should be good uh, matchups. Uh, the Hawks, congrats, man. I And I, I will say this. I thought the Knicks would win this series. I thought the Knicks would win uh, in six. Now it looks like the Hawks are going to win it in five. Um, I, have to, I have to tip my cap to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I have to tip my cap to Trey Young. He has been phenomenal uh, these first four games. Uh, we've seen so many great young players have tremendous playoff debuts this year, I feel like. Like Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton have played phenomenally. Um, you know, Trey Young has been insane. Like, we've seen some really good play out of the young players in these series um making their debuts and like i said this is something that i brought up before man the league is in such great hands the league is in a is in such a good place as far as young talent goes and the things that guys are going to be able to achieve moving forward and i cannot wait to see more of it um but yeah it looks like we're going to get philly and atlanta in the second round milwaukee and brooklyn in the second round that is probably going to be one of the most anticipated matchups um as far as the West Western Conference goes right now, though, it's, the Western Conference is still open. You know, like outside of the Utah Jazz, who, you know, like I said, it seems like they've wrapped up their series and have everything figured out. You still are waiting to see what's going to happen with the Lakers and the Suns, uh, what's going to happen with Portland uh, and Denver, and then obviously what's going to happen with the Clippers and the Mavericks. So a lot still left to be determined in the Western Conference. Uh, in the Western Conference as far as who's going to match up in the second round. But 
these playoffs, man, they are giving everything, everything that we wanted. I have been thoroughly enjoying them outside of the stupid fans. <laughs> yeah, outside of the stupid fans, I'm uh, I'm really excited. I will I will give some predictions um, for these series, though. Portland and Denver play tonight. I pick Portland to win this series. If they're going to win this series, they have to win game five. I don't think you can lose game five. Um, because then you put yourself having to play back-to-back elimination games. And yes, one of them will be in Portland, but you don't want to go to Denver for a Game 7. This is a must-win uh, for Portland if they want to win this series. So I picked Portland to win this series in six. I'm going to stick with that pick. I think the Trailblazers get the win tonight, and then they go ahead and wrap things up uh, in Portland on uh, Thursday. Then we have the Lakers and the Suns. I believe LeBron James will, for the first time in his playoff career, lose a first-round series. Anthony Davis not being here for Game 5. The Phoenix Suns playing well. Momentum on their side. Chris Paul seemingly getting his shoulder healthier. His shoulder seems to not be bothering him as much. DeAndre Ayton playing the way he is. This game being played in Phoenix, I believe the Phoenix Suns win game five. But here's the caveat. They have to win game six. The Phoenix Suns cannot, cannot allow this to go to seven games. If you go to seven games, you're not going to beat LeBron in the seventh game. It's not going to happen. You don't beat LeBron in seven. If you beat LeBron, you beat him in six or less. You cannot allow LeBron to get into a situation where it's winner take all. Where it's all I have to do is win this game. You're going to lose that matchup every time. You're going to lose that matchup every time. That being said, I am going to take the Suns to win this series. I think... Anthony Davis not playing tonight is going to hurt them. I think the Phoenix Suns, like I said, with momentum on their side, pull out the win, go up 3-2. And then that's when I think Chris Paul's leadership and more importantly, Devin Booker's assassin's mentality come into play and they put the Lakers away in six. I don't have a lot of confidence in that pick. <laughs> I will not lie. Um, I am, I'm a little apprehensive making that pick. Uh, you all can't see my face right now, but I am cringing a little bit as I say this. But uh, no Anthony Davis tonight. I think the Phoenix Suns win. And then at that point, it's just a matter of winning one more game. I think Devin Booker explodes because we haven't really seen a Devin Booker explosion since game one of this series. Um, even though he did score 31 points in game two, but it was mostly free throws. He hit 17 free throws in game two. Um, outside of game one, Devin Booker hasn't had that one of those games where he just can't miss. You know, he hasn't had one of those games where he just is on fire. And I think one, of, I think he's due for one of those games, whether it be tonight or whether it be game six, I'm not sure. But I think Devin Booker is due one of those type of games. And... Once that happens, I think the Lakers will be sent home. And then, of course, we have the Los Angeles Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks. Last year, it was the Clippers who 
couldn't hold up their end of the bargain to give us the Lakers versus Clippers matchup. I believe this year it will be the Lakers who can't hold up that end of the bargain because I do believe the Lakers will get knocked out in the first round. I think the Clippers are going to win these next two games. I think the Clippers being home for game five after winning two games in a row, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George both getting into a groove. I think the Clippers, after dropping the first two games of this series, win four in a row, and they beat the Mavericks in six. And I believe our second-round matchups in the Western Conference will be the Phoenix Suns taking on the Los Angeles Clippers and the Utah Jazz taking on the Portland Trailblazers. Both of those series are going to be incredible. Both of those series are going to be incredible. Portland versus Utah is going to be great. You have two great backcourts going up against each other with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum going up against Donovan Mitchell and Michael Conley. Um, You got Yusuf Nurkic going up against uh, Rudy Gobert. You got Jordan Clarkson, sixth man of the year. Um, Will will Carmelo Anthony uh, provide some scoring off the bench for 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 the Trailblazers? All those things are taken into consideration. Norman Powell, who's played exceptionally well that was that was a trade that i criticized heavily um the portland trailblazers for when they made that trade when they traded gary trent jr to the toronto raptors for norman powell i criticized them heavily for that trade norman powell has played very well i mean he's been he's been phenomenal in these playoffs so far so portland taking on utah is going to be great and then the Clippers taking on the Suns is going to be very interesting, man. I I don't know how that series is going to go. I, I genuinely don't, but I'm excited for it. Those are my predictions. But like I said, man, the NBA playoffs has given us everything that we could have wished for and more. Well, it would have been nice if Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors would have been able to hold up their end of the bargain and, and get that eighth seed instead of losing to Memphis. But hey, things happen. It's what happens with the, with these new playing games. I'm not mad at it. I actually enjoy the playing games. I know some people were upset, but these playoffs have been tremendous, absolutely tremendous, and I cannot wait to see what else they have in store. All righty. At the 47-minute mark here, let's talk some quick NFL. Not a whole bunch of NFL news to get into uh, just because we are, you know, we're kind of in those those dog days. You know, like I said, I've brought this up before. The draft is over with uh, the big key free agents are basically have all signed and found homes. Um, so right now we're all just kind of waiting. But as of today, we are 100 days away from the start of the NFL season. We are 100 days left, 100 days away from the start of the NFL season. And there are still some big pieces that need to fall into place. Oh, before we talk about that, I forgot to bring this up. Uh, Congrats to Adam Vinatieri, arguably the greatest kicker of all time, the NFL's all-time leading scorer, calling it a career, having played 20-plus years in the NFL. He finally retired, uh, called it quits on the Pat McAfee show um, sometime, I believe it was last week. Um, but shout out to Adam Vinatieri, man. Great career, great kicker. Like I said, arguably the greatest of all time. Um, first ballot hall of famer for sure. I understand that sounds weird for a kicker to be a first ballot hall of famer, but you look at his, I mean, 
he scored more points than anyone in the history of the NFL. He deserves it, <laughs> right? He absolutely uh, deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So shout out to Adam Vinatieri um, and thank you for the decades worth of great clutch moments uh, that we got out of him. Okay. That being said, there are still some things that need to fall into place as we get closer to the season. And a lot of them, in all honesty, are centered around certain players more than likely being traded and where they will be traded to. Obviously, tops on that list, Aaron Rodgers. What's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers has not showed up to OTAs, which are optional, so that's not a big deal, but he hasn't shown up for those. From what we've heard, it seems like he's kind of stiffing uh, the Packers organization right now and isn't really doing too much talks with them. It seems like he's kind of really done with this uh, organization that he wants to be out. Where does Aaron Rodgers go? It's a question that I've been asking for about week for a couple weeks now. Really, ever since draft day, when the news came out that Aaron Rodgers had had officially um, demanded a trade, it's what we've been asking: Where's Aaron Rodgers going to land? What What are the Green Bay Packers going to get for him? Where can he go? Because that's also something you have to think of: is that Aaron Rodgers, one of the things that he has in his back pocket is he has a no trade clause in his contract, which basically means Aaron Rodgers can decide where he goes as far as a trade. Um, where will it be? I still believe as of right now, Denver, the Denver Broncos make the most sense. Um, good offensive line, pretty good running game, talent all over that uh, receiving core as far as having Noah Fanta tight end, Jerry Judy on one side, Cortland Sutton on the other. Um, they've got a ton of talent on the offensive side of the, of the ball in Denver. And very quietly, you have a very talented defense. So Denver to me makes a ton of sense. Will they be able to do it? We'll see. Also, I love the fact of him. I love the idea of him going to Denver because that means we would get to see um, Aaron Rodgers take on uh, Patrick Mahomes twice a year uh, for the next maybe two or three years, which would be just great football to watch, uh, seeing those two duke it out. Uh, you'd literally have probably the two best quarterbacks in the entire NFL in the same division, um, which how I don't, I can't even think of the last time anything close to that happened. So uh, that's really interesting there. Um, obviously, the other big name that has been uh, moving around and actually is, is expected to be traded sometime this week um, is Julio Jones. You know, the Falcons were waiting for this June 1st um, date to pass. And actually, they still have to wait until 4 o'clock uh, Eastern uh, standard time, four o'clock PM Eastern standard time to trade him because that's the official start of the next NFL day technically. Um, and they've been waiting for that date because the Falcons, the Falcons are in salary cap hell right now. Like the Falcons don't even have enough salary cap. Like they're so pressed against the cap that they don't even have enough money to pay the players that they just drafted. So trading Julio Jones would be huge for them and trading him after uh, June 1st, 
after the June 1st date at 4 p.m. Um, is huge because it takes his salary cap hit down from like 23 million to like seven and a half million or something like that. So doing that saves them about $16 million by trading him after June 1st. Um, so if Julio Jones is going to be traded, he will be traded. Uh, Julio Jones came out, you know, granted, did he know he was on air? We still don't know. But when asked about the uh, Atlanta Falcons, he said, yeah, I'm out of there. So Julio Jones is going to be moved. Where he will be moved is still uh, to be determined. What they will get for him is also still to be determined. Um, reports are that there's at least one team that's offering a first-round pick. Um, there's been some some rumblings that the New England Patriots are interested, that the Seattle Seahawks have emerged as a contender, um, that the Tennessee Titans could be in the mix. Um, you have, obviously, the Baltimore Ravens. Um, have crept in. The one thing I will say about this situation and the team that I am most disappointed in, the Indianapolis Colts. Chris Ballard, what are you doing? Stop being a coward. Yes, I get it. You have young players that you need to pay soon. I get it, right? I, I truly get it. And I understand that you just made this trade for Carson Wentz and his large contract and his large salary. So you do have to pay him. I get it, right? However, if all you have to do is give up like a second or third round pick, hell, even if you have to give up a second and third round pick for Julio Jones, Julio Jones, first ballot Hall of Famer Julio Jones, arguably the best wide receiver in football Julio Jones, going to end up being one of the 10 best wide receivers of all time Julio Jones, the man who currently holds the NFL record for most receiving yards per game, for his career, that Julio Jones, I'm sorry, you're not going to find a Julio Jones in the draft, right? You're not going to find him in the second or third round. Hell, you might not find him in the first round ever again. If you can go and get Julio Jones on this Indianapolis Colts team, you need to make it happen. Don't talk to me about the salary cap. I don't want to hear about it. Make it happen. Chris Ballard, you made a bold move by going out and getting Carson Wentz, and I applauded you for it. Since you've made that move, and and the thing that's also interesting is like the Colts have made some pretty bold moves. You know, like just what what was it last year or two years ago? They 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 traded a first round pick for DeForest Buckner, right? And one of, and one of my favorite quotes, one of my favorite quotes when Chris Ballard was asked about that trade, they were like, "Oh, so what are you going to do on a on night one of the NFL draft?" He said. Uh, I'm going to sit back at home and I'm going to watch uh, highlights of DeForest Buckner. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd give up a first round, especially in the Colts, who to me, because and that's the thing. To me, the Colts are the team that Julio Jones makes the most sense for, because I personally believe that Carson Wentz is going to play that is going to play the way that he did two or three years ago. And if you have that and you give him Julio Jones, this team truly is just one great wide receiver away from being a Super Bowl contender, in my opinion. Hell, they're already Super Bowl contenders. Do they have enough to get over a team get to get over a team like the Chiefs? I don't think so. But Julio Jones just might be exactly what you need to do it. The Colts need to make this trade. 
they are the team that I've had my eye on this entire time. When I heard that Julio Jones was available for trade, I immediately, once I heard that, was like, the Colts need to make this happen. Will they do it? I don't know. But Chris Ballard, please make this happen. You give Carson Wentz a good offensive line, a great running game, and Julio Jones to throw the ball to with Frank Reich calling plays? Golden. You're going to be golden. You're going to win your division easily. Hell, you might end up with the number one seed in the in the AFC. But those are just my thoughts. Um, so we'll see what happens. But Julio Jones, expect to hear the Julio Jones trade. Hell, it might end up happening as early as today. You know, we might hear something at like 530 today saying that Julio Jones has been traded somewhere. Again, where he will be traded, I don't know. I will say this. If I'm the Atlanta Falcons, and I was interested when I heard the New England Patriots were in on this conversation, there's no way in hell if I'm the Atlanta Falcons, I am trading Julio Jones to the New England Patriots. If I'm the Atlanta Falcons, I am never making a trade with the New England Patriots, no matter what. After blowing a 28-3 lead to the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, I am never making any deal with you all. I am holding that grudge for the rest of eternity. Okay? As long as we are a franchise, I will never make a deal with the New England Patriots if I'm the Atlanta Hawks. That's just me, though. Um... Speaking of the New England Patriots, the Patriots have a marquee player that could be on the move, and that is Stefan Gilmore. Um, Stefan Gilmore actually is on a very cheap deal right now because he's in the last year of his deal, and he's slotted to only make $7 million this year, which has been a little bit of a problem with trading him is because the team that would trade for him obviously would have to have some sort of deal in place to extend him to give him more money because I just don't think that he's going to get traded somewhere in place for $7 million when he's someone who could demand literally twice that amount. So we'll see what happens there. There are a bunch of teams I think that could use Stefan Gilmore. Hell, the Indianapolis Colts are another team that could use a great corner. <laughs> like, I don't know why. I don't know why I've had this affinity for the Indianapolis Colts recently and why I want them to make all the moves, but I do. But there are a ton of teams that could make a move for Stefan Gilmore. Hell, I guess that does make the Atlanta Falcons I guess a trade with the Atlanta Falcons does become more acceptable if you're trading Julio Jones there for Stefan Gilmore. Maybe you get Stefan Gilmore for $7 million and say, hey, do us a solid this year, and then we'll re-up you on your on your extension next year. Uh, maybe, but Stefan Gilmore is definitely someone whose name has been on the trade mill for a while, but we haven't really gotten any answers as to who the suitors are. We haven't really gotten any answers as to what the Patriots are asking for. We just know that they might be looking to move him. Hell, who knows? Stefan Gilmore might not go anywhere. So we'll see. Um, and then obviously the last name on the list is Deshaun Watson. Granted, he still has some legal things that need to be figured out, but I'm still of the mindset that he's done in Houston, and at some point they're going to have to trade him. And, I mean, all the moves that they've made feels like the Houston Texans are finally starting to get that through their heads that Deshaun Watson is not going to be playing for the Houston Texans ever again um, after, you know, they went out 
you go and you sign Tyrod Taylor, you draft Davis Mills out of Stanford in the third round. Um, yeah, so a lot of moves left to be made. The NFL is still going to be shaken up, and where these guys land, it's definitely going to have some huge impact on the NFL and the landscape, but I am super excited for it. But sitting here at the hour mark, that is all I have for you all today. I guess I'll let you guys go ahead and get out of here, but thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Instant Replay Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dominic Shirosky, and if you like today's episode, tell a friend to tell a friend, like it, share it, all that other good stuff, and if you didn't like today's episode, just act like it didn't happen. Um, and of course, as always, I leave you all with a quote. Kobe Bryant once said, no one hates the good ones. They only hate the great ones. So go out there, make some new haters. I'll see you all Friday.